Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush coming at you with another solo video. Today we're talking about must-draft receivers. We're talking about breakout receivers, talking about league-winning receivers, whatever you want to call them. The guys that you draft not in the first couple rounds that are going to help you win you your league. In fantasy football, the best way to find these guys is to look for young ascending players. So specifically today, we're going to be focusing on the must-draft second-year wide receivers. So we saw actually a very historic rookie uh, class of receivers last year. And these guys going into their second year are, are criminally undervalued. They're going behind guys like AJ Green and T.Y. Hilton, guys that are past their primes. General rule of fantasy, if you take anything away from this video, you're better off betting on young ascending talents like the guys we're going to talk about today than you are betting on guys that are past their primes, their best days are behind them, and they're no longer the elite receivers that they, wanted, uh, that they once were. So today we're going to be talking about guys that could get into that elite tier for some of them. Some of them might just become wide receiver twos or wide receiver threes, but some of these guys legitimately, legitimately have elite potential. saw guys like uh, last year, like Cortland Sutton and DJ Chark and um, another, a number of other guys come into the league and struggle their rookie years and actually have um, productive second years and, and somewhat league winning second years. So uh, the first guy on the list today that we're going to be talking about is Marquise Hollywood Brown. So Hollywood Brown um, currently is going about uh, sixth, seventh round pick. And basically with Hollywood Brown, I'll put this on the screen right now. The Ravens became a different team when Hollywood Brown was in the offense last year. He missed a couple games and was limited in a couple games due to being a rookie and the fact that he was dealing with a Liz Frank injury. But when Marquise Brown in the six games that he played, uh, more than 60% of the snaps, Lamar Jackson averaged six more pass attempts per game. And um, he averaged 24.33 pass attempts in the other nine games that Marquise Brown did not fit this criteria. And this excludes the outlier playoff game where Lamar threw like 59 times against the Tennessee Titans. But basically what this proves is that the Ravens were not necessarily that run heavy by design. They were that run heavy because they had no receiver options and Hollywood Brown can help kind of buck that trend for them. As a rookie in 2019, Hollywood Brown was able to produce 584 receiving yards, uh, seven receiving touchdowns and only 14 games. And as I mentioned, he was dealing through, or he was playing through a Liz Frank injury in his foot that involved him playing with screws uh, in his foot during the recovery. So he was not like comfortable out there. He was probably limited uh, in practice and all that stuff. So the good news is Hollywood Brown is 100% healthy right now. Apparently he added some extra weight to help him um, maintain kind of health and not uh, get injured in big hits and all that stuff. Cause I know he took a couple licks against the Titans, but again, along the same lines as that other tweet, I tweeted this out on May 27th in the seven games that Hollywood Brown played greater than 60% of the snaps. He posted almost eight targets a game, four catches per game, nearly half a touchdown per game, and uh, 52 yards per game. Those numbers uh, are actually very respectable. I know they don't look that great. You're like, okay, 850 yards and seven touchdowns. That's like wide receiver two numbers. Like Hollywood Brown is being drafted in wide receiver three range. And this is just as a rookie, his paced out numbers. He could take a, a significant step forward and have 140 targets, 80 catches, nine touchdowns, and, and over a thousand yards which would put him in top 15 range. That's the potential I see for Hollywood Brown. And here's why. The Ravens have an easy, easy schedule this year. Like it is very easy. And this matters for Hollywood Brown. I'll put this on the screen as well. 
12.9 PPR points in games where they were playing against a team with a, a bottom 16th, uh, 16th ranked pass defense. And he got uh, six targets per game, which was an increase. He had like 60 receiving yards. And again, this is important because if you look at the schedule, they have the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Steelers twice, and the, the Patriots. Those are really the only games that are worrisome. The rest of these teams, the Texans, the Browns, the, the Washington football team, like the Bengals, like these are all in the first couple of weeks of the season too, which is also important for fantasy, knowing that he's going to get off to a hot start. You might be able to flip him for kind of like an elite asset. If people see him busting out and you don't necessarily believe in Hollywood Brown, you think it's just kind of a, a mirage of an early schedule. You could flip him for someone like, I don't know, Cooper Cup or like Robert Woods or like someone in that tier of receivers if they're struggling. So Hollywood Brown, overall, another general philosophy you want to kind of stick to in fantasy is you want to attach yourself to good offenses. And the Ravens scored the most points in the NFL last year. And I expect them to be a top five offense again this year. And I do expect them also to take a step forward in their passing offense. As defenses and, and teams try and learn to figure out Lamar, I don't think they're ever going to figure out Lamar, but as they limit him on the ground, he's going to have to play from the pocket more. And Hollywood Brown helps him do that. He's by far his best receiving option at the wide receiver position, excluding Mark Andrews. And he definitely has potential to become the number two offense, or he has, he's the favorite to become the number two option in this passing game. So on to the next guy. And I probably should have prefaced this at the beginning. We're going to talk about six breakout receivers today or potential must draft second year receivers. And then I'm going to give you five honorable mentions of guys that kind of just missed the cut who have a concern for one reason or another, but I still do think they're great values. And I know 11 receivers sounds like a lot, but remember, this was a great receiver class. So these guys, I expect a lot of them to take big steps in their second year. So this next guy I'm going to talk about, I've talked about a lot, so I'm not going to go super, super in depth with him. If you want to see more on AJ Brown, who is the next guy. Um, last week, I released a top five breakout picks uh, video and AJ Brown was on that list and I went super in depth with him, but Basically, the long and short of it was that Brown is going to get more target volume. I don't really care that he's in a run-heavy offense. He's the number one target. It's not even close. He is my pick to be this year's Chris Godwin. Based on the sample study that I did, I'll put some of this on the screen right now, rookie-wide receivers with his efficiency received an average target increase of 34 and 269, uh, 34 targets and 269 yardage. Brown broke the mold for efficiency last year. He over, averaged over 20 yards per reception. And the Titans, even though they will be run-heavy, I've seen this stat from a couple of people on Twitter stating that teams who passed under 500 times experienced an average increase of 63 pass attempts. So if the Titans throw the ball any more than they did last year, which I do expect because they were extremely run heavy last year, he should see a, a target increase from that perspective. A 25% target share is basically what I expect as a floor for AJ Brown, because he is by far the most established pass catcher on that team. Corey Davis hasn't done shit. Adam Humphreys is just, is really just a guy. I saw him in Tampa for a couple uh, for a while. Um, John U. Smith, I love the breakout, but again, that there's a chance he busts or gets injured or something like that. So AJ Brown is basically on the career trajectory of someone like Chris Godwin or someone like DJ Moore, except he's even younger at the age that he's doing it. He had the breakout season in his rookie year when it took Godwin until his third year and DJ Moore until his second year to do so. So as I mentioned, he has no significant target competition as compared to guys like Chris Godwin and DJ Moore who have to compete with uh, Mike Evans, Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, like um, AJ Brown doesn't have that. So I expect AJ Brown to have an excellent, excellent year. And I know he's going in the fourth round. So he's a little higher than, uh, to, uh, Hollywood Brown, who I mentioned earlier, but AJ Brown's going to be worth that fourth round pick. I promise you this time next year, AJ Brown is going to be a second, third round pick because he's going to have that. He's going to take that next leap, that next step into the elite top 12 receiver range. So the next guy on the list, uh, is going a little bit later than the first two guys I mentioned, but Deontay Johnson, 
is my next um, must draft breakout receiver at, uh, in his second year. So my thing with Deontay Johnson is that we're all making excuses for Juju Smith-Schuster this year. His quarterback play, he was injured. But what uh, stands out for Deontay Johnson is that he broke out despite all, this, all these factors. The quarterback play was just as bad for Deontay Johnson as it was for Juju Smith-Schuster. But it didn't matter for Deontay Johnson. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is reportedly struggling in camp right now. Uh, the Athletics uh, Pittsburgh reporter basically reported that Juju's having a quiet camp and these young receivers are outplaying him. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington. They're all having better camps than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I actually saw as of today, apparently he's gearing up a little bit more and he's, he's uh, performing a bit better today. But it's still worth noting that Juju isn't playing like up to Juju's standards. So Deontay Johnson last year played primarily out wide, which means he's going to be on the field in two wide sets, which is something we don't know for sure about Juju Smith-Schuster. We're assuming he's going to be on the field in two wide sets, but they've mentioned that they want to put him back in his natural slot role. So Deontay Johnson, as a rookie last year, ranked number one in separation average at the wide receiver position, which is very, very impressive. This was despite ranking in the 80s among receivers for catchable targets and target quality, as I mentioned, for Juju Smith-Schuster. The targets were just as bad for, for Deontay Johnson as they were for Juju, but because Deontay was getting open more consistently and he was creating larger separation, it was easier for Rudolph and Duck Hodges to get him the ball. Obviously, this isn't going to be the case this year because Big Ben is coming back. And whatever you think of Big Ben, he is an upgrade over those guys that they had last year. And Deontay Johnson is playing the Antonio Brown role. Obviously, he's not as good as Antonio Brown, and he's not nearly as polished as Antonio Brown, but Big Ben isn't, a uh, isn't afraid to feed a super talented receiver. And if he sees that Deontay Johnson is taking that leap forward, he's, uh, he's making those strides, he will feed him. So Deontay Johnson in the eighth, ninth round where you're getting him is a steal because you can fade the receiver position. And if Deontay Johnson's your third or fourth receiver, you should feel more than comfortable with that being the case. So on to the next guy. DK Metcalf. And again, I've talked about him a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep him, uh, the explanation on him a little brief as well. Metcalf, um, also fit the criteria that AJ Brown fit of that 269 yardage increase in 34 targets. This offense wants to run the ball, but I do anticipate it being more of a balance between passing and rushing as the passing game will be hundred percent more effective, obviously, because you have Russell Wilson, but Chris Carson, um, being kind of a health question mark also contributes to this uh, offense potentially being more pass heavy than we've seen in the past couple of years. Obviously, we know that DK Metcalf can make big plays downfield and score touchdowns. We saw him do it against the Eagles where he recorded the, I believe it was the most yardage by a rookie receiver in a playoff debut. So we know he has big play upside, but the thing that people don't know about DK Metcalf is that he was great in the red zone. He tied for fifth in the NFL with 17 red zone targets and he led the NFL in targets to the end zone, meaning Russ threw it uh, into the end zone. And if Metcalf comes down with it, it's a touchdown. He had great success rate, uh, according to Matt Harmon's uh, reception perception on his main routes. The guys, the, the reason that people were down on Metcalf coming out of school is because he could only run goes, posts, comebacks, et cetera. Well, guess what? Guys like Mike Evans, guys like Calvin Johnson, that's all they ran in their careers. They're like they, they don't run diverse route trees. If you're really good at a certain thing because you have elite size and elite speed like those two guys do, then you can make plays. Like it, it, you don't need to be pigeonholed into being a complete receiver. Not every receiver is Julio Jones. Not every receiver can do everything on the field. That's why guys like Julio Jones are going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. So Metcalf, for what he is, is going to be a great receiver in his role. Russell Wilson is his quarterback, let's remember. Russell Wilson is the best deep passer in the NFL. I know Patrick Mahomes is the best arm in the NFL, but Russell Wilson is the best deep passer. And he will be efficient as fuck because he's Russell Wilson. DK Metcalf, 
is apparently coming into an expanded role as well. Back in April, Brian Schottenheimer said, the number one thing that we know about DK Metcalf is that we can move him around this year. We can do different things with him. It's not like he's stuck at our X receiver position like he was last year. This year, we know he's uh, expanded his role and he's um, acclimated to the offense and he has chemistry with Russ. So we're able to move him around. These, these are pretty much word for word what he said. And I believe him because DK Metcalf did show a lot in his rookie year. And he did show that he's capable of being an elite receiver in this league. And we know his dimensions are say that he can be. I believe his play last year showed that as a rookie and he's in line for a target increase. I know Tyler Lockett is still there, but I think this is going to be a passing offense dominated by Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Can anyone name another receiver on that team? Like they got David Moore and like, it's these two guys similar to the way it was in Tampa last year with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. It's everyone else just falls in line behind these two guys. I think both of them have top 15 potential. I think we could see Lockett finish as a top 15 receiver and Metcalf finish as a top 15 receiver. So don't shy away from DK Metcalf just because he runs goes and posts. Cause yes, he, that's, it is pretty much all he runs, but he's very good at it. And his offense recognizes that because they're smart coaching staff and a smart offense. So Terry McLaurin is the next guy on the list. Um, also excellent, excellent rookie year, but he was even better than the statistics would show. He was missed multiple times down the field by Dwayne Haskins and by Case Keenum on potential big play opportunities. If he hit that stuff, he might've shattered rookie receiving records, uh, last year per PFF. He was the highest graded rookie on offense in 2019. This includes guys like Kyler Murray, who won offensive rookie of the year. This includes AJ Brown. This includes Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders and all these guys that we thought were excellent as rookies. He trails only Odell and Michael Thomas for the highest grade a rookie receiver has experienced in the past couple of years of PFF. 58 catches, 919 yards, and seven touchdowns in only 14 games last year for Terry McLaurin. Had he played 16 games, he was on a pace of 66 catches, 1,050 yards, and eight touchdowns, which was very similar to what A.J. Brown put up this year. Despite being in by, like probably the worst situation of any number one receiver in the NFL, uh, I'll put this on the screen right now, but PFF tweeted this out a couple days ago. He had one of the highest receiving grades on 20 plus yard uh, targets down the field. Terry McLaurin trailed only Julio Jones and Tyree Kill, who are two of the best deep threats in the NFL on deep targets. So Terry McLaurin can do it close. He can do it deep. He can do it in the slot. He can do it anywhere. He is a stud receiver. And I know everyone's concern is Dwayne Haskins, but I'll put Dwayne Haskins splits. Uh, the last three games that Dwayne Haskins played, he looked a lot more comfortable. He played a lot better. And I know it's a three-game sample size, but despite similar pass attempts volume, he cut his interceptions down um, by three, uh, like three um, divided by three. Passing touchdowns were up tremendously. His passing yards per attempt is the big number because in a three-game sample size, interceptions and touchdowns can fluctuate. But your yards per attempt is basically indicative of your productivity on a play-in, a play-out basis. So if Dwayne Haskins was getting his feet wet, he's getting his legs under him, and he performs significantly better, and he takes a jump in year two, similar to what we saw from a guy like Mitch Trubisky. Like, do we really think that Mitch Trubisky was a great quarterback in 2018 when the Bears went 12-4? and four? No, but he was good enough to sustain an offense. He was good enough to uh, make guys like Tariq Cohen and Allen Robinson productive for fantasy. So really, all we need from Dwayne Haskins is to be 2018 Mitch Trubisky. Don't be 2019 Mitch Trubisky, but be 2018 Mitch Trubisky where all we really need you for, Mitch, uh, Dwayne Haskins, is to support Terry McLaurin for us. Maybe Antonio Gibson too, but Terry McLaurin, just feed your number one receiver. Give him 150, 140 targets, and we'll all be on our merry way, and we won't say anything bad about you. So Dwayne Haskins, all he has to do is take a minor incremental step forward, and Terry McLaurin is going to be a top 
probably 12 receiver this year, but probably top 15 for sure. So again, Terry McLaurin, fifth round-ish ADP, smash every time. Terry McLaurin, pick him over guys like, I don't know, guys like AJ Green, as I mentioned. You don't want guys like AJ Green who are coming on uh, the back half of their season. Again, Terry McLaurin, I would pick him over Odell Beckham Jr. Because the the buzz around Terry McLaurin, the the momentum that he has in his career is much better than it is for a guy like Odell who just all he does is complain and his offense is going more rush heavy. Terry McLaurin has that momentum on his side as compared to a guy like Odell Beckham. So this last guy that I'm going to talk about in uh, my main targets uh, strategy, and then we'll get into more uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Before I do get into him, I would encourage you, if you've enjoyed this video thus far, I would encourage you to hit the button that looks like this. Let's us know that you like the content that we're putting out here at the stock exchange. Also comment down on uh, below on the video, give any of your thoughts on these receivers or any fantasy questions you have in general. And if you're new to the channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the notification uh, button as well. Cause we post videos pretty much every day. All right. So into the next guy, Nikhil Harry is the guy I'm talking about. He is like a 12th, 13th round pick. So he's a lot later than these other guys, despite being the first receiver, sorry, the second receiver off the board in the NFL draft in 2019. His situation reminds me a lot of Cortland Sutton's in his rookie year. He didn't see a crazy amount of volume. He didn't flash a crazy amount of potential, but he did flash some potential as a rookie. Nikhil Harry had plays, had games, had snaps where he looked like the first round pick that he was billed to be. So I wasn't a big fan of Nikhil Harry coming out of college, similar to the way I wasn't a big fan of Cortland Sutton coming out of college, but I I recognize the opportunity, the potential and the talent that's there. And it looks like it's going to be fruitful coming into his second year. So I'm going to put Nikhil Harry's profile as a prospect coming out of school on the screen right now. It's as bulletproof as it gets. Age 18 breakout is 95th percentile. He had a great athletic profile if you look at his workout metrics. Incredible dominator and um, yards per reception and target share numbers. Literally bulletproof production profile for a rookie receiver. What's the best thing that you can look for for a late round breakout candidate, similar to what we saw from Cortland Sutton last year? It's talent, which he's a, he was a former first round pick. He obviously has talent. Situation. It's just Julian Edelman and fucking James White in that passing game. Opportunity. Again, Cam Newton coming in provides more opportunity for Nikhil Harry because he was somewhat in in Tom Brady's doghouse last year. And Cam Newton is looking apparently rejuvenated in camp, supposedly having a great camp. And if we remember the last time Cam Newton was healthy in 2018, he posted his best uh, statistics from a passing perspective. And he made guys like Devin Funches an every week starter. Opportunity is literally zero in the passing uh, in the passing game outside of the short options uh, in Edelman and White. The deep passing game, the passing game where Nikhil Harry made his money at Arizona State and where he can make his money in the NFL, has no options. It's just Nikhil uh, Nikhil Harry to stretch the field. They, did I mention they also have a horrible run game too? They passed the ball at one of the most uh, clips in the league last year, despite having an elite defense. They had to throw the ball because they had no run game in 2019. The same will be true this year with the, the cast of characters that they have in the rushing game uh, in 2020. I know Nikhil Harry is a dart throw type pick where you're getting him, but he, he could surprise. He was the dynasty 101 just a year ago. Don't leave your draft without him. If he stinks, big whoop. You cut your, you cut your 13th rounder and you move on. If he hits, he's going to be this year's DJ Chark. He's going to be this year's Cortland Sutton, however you want to frame it. Nikhil Harry has top 20 receiver potential in the offense that he's in because he has the opportunity, the talent, and the situation around him to help facilitate that, similar to what we saw from Chark and Sutton last year. So, honorable mentions. Um, A lot of these guys could have been on this list, but for one reason or another, they're not because they have a significant concern that's kind of 
making me, I, I still like all these guys, but I'm not going to be reaching for them or, or going out of my way to target them in a lot of leagues. So Debo Samuel is the first guy that fits this description. Obviously he most definitely would have been on this list. He would have been a part of the, the first category of players. Had he not gotten injured in, I believe it was June. When you hear shit like hopeful for week one, just assume the pup list. Assume he's going to start the season on the pup list because being over optimistic about injuries like this will lead to you wasting draft picks. If you're going to pick Debo Samuel in the seventh, eighth round, thinking that he's just going to be fine by week one and he's coming back full strength, no setbacks, and he's going to be the stud receiver that we all expected him to be before the foot injury, you're fooling yourself. I can tell you right now, don't be over optimistic about injuries. Just assume the worst, knock him down your board. If he falls to the, the double digit rounds, then he's probably worth a pick there. But otherwise, I'm probably not fully targeting Debo Samuel. The next guy on the honorable mentions is kind of uh, Preston Williams. So Preston Williams, similar to Debo, this is really injury related for me. Uh, Preston Williams had a tremendous rookie season uh, for an undrafted free agent, but he tore his ACL in November. Um, his timeline is really questionable. We, we know that uh, ACL timeline is a nine to 12 month injury. Players first year off their ACL, uh, ACL tear injuries also are usually not as productive and may struggle with overcompensation injuries. Overcompensation injuries basically just means um, they don't want to hurt their knee again. So they might um, favor their hamstring and then they might pull their hammy as a result of that. So basically Preston Williams is a guy that I would be targeting at a late, late, late round pick, but I'm not going out of my way to get him. I think we're just a year early on his breakout, to be honest. I think this year he's going to struggle a bit. Maybe he towards the back half of the season gets his legs under him and he's, he's feeling more healthy and, and he can go out there and make some plays. But I think 2021 is the year that Preston Williams really breaks out. And as far as his splits with Devontae Parker, I know everyone wants to point to the fact that he out-targeted Devontae Parker in the games that they were both on the field. But Josh Rosen was also the quarterback for a couple of those games. And in camp, Preston Williams was a second teamer in, in 2019 going into the season, as was Josh Rosen. They were able to develop chemistry at that point. And the games that Ryan Fitzpatrick played, uh, which we assume is going to be the starting quarterback for most of this year, in the games that Ryan Fitzpatrick played, he definitely favored Devontae Parker. So I don't think Preston Williams is the number one receiver in the Dolphins offense. I do think he is the number two receiver and he could struggle uh, due to the uh, ACL tear that he's coming off of. It is worth noting though, that despite being ca uh, cautiously optimistic early on in camp, the uh, Preston Williams is practicing in full and apparently he is looking good according to beat reporters. So again, if you, for what it's worth, I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of caution. If you're willing to bet on Preston Williams a little earlier than I am, uh, I don't blame you. He is a talented player and he could, um, break out this year, but I'm, I'm going to err on the side of caution and probably stay away from him until like the 11th, 12th round. But, uh, the next guy on the list is Nicole Hardman, uh, on the honorable mentions list. He was first in yards perception, first in, uh, yards per target, third in target separation, first in quarterback rating when targeted. He was awesome. Obviously is basically my point in, um, in his rookie season, he had an incredible touchdown rate, despite only having uh, 41 targets. He had six touchdowns. He's a high risk, high reward player. I understand that. He's definitely worth the risk or worth the risk at the point where he's being drafted and the potential volume uptick he might see. But my issue with Nicole Hardman is his volume uptick that I expect him to get might be 80 targets, 90 targets, and he might be usable at that point. But I don't think he's going to get to the point this year where he's an every week starter and you can get him in your lineup unless a, a big injury happens. So the real concern for me is the same for Preston Williams. I think 2021 is the year that Nicole Hardman breaks out and Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson or sorry, and Demarcus Robinson will keep Hardman off the field uh, and more relegated to a special teams or specialty role. And he'll just be kind of like a dart thrower, a best ball pick in 2020. So I definitely like McCall Hardman, but he's not someone I'm going to go out of my way to get because I do think we're a year early on the breakout. 
again, another a year early on the breakout guy, I think is Darius Slayton. I think he has, uh, he's going to grow in this offense and he's going to further establish his connection with Daniel Jones, but he it's, it's very crowded there. It's Sterling Shepard. It's golden Tate. It's Evan Ingram. It's Saquon out of the backfield. He's an upside pick in the ninth, 10th round, but I do think we are a year early on the Darius Slayton breakout. And I know he had a top 35 rookie season last year uh, from um, a fantasy perspective, but his role is not cemented. He is, there's no good splits you can take with the Giants receivers where you're like, oh yeah, okay. So when they were on the field, this was the number one guy. Like it's all just kind of warped and, and, and changed around. So again, if I'm going to take a shot on the lines or the, the Giants passing game from the receiver uh, position, I'm going to take my shot on Darius Slayton because I do believe he has the most upside, but I'm not counting on him being the top 24 receiver that I thought he could be earlier on in the off season. So, uh, so um, the very last guy I want to mention is just kind of a sleeper with the Jalen Rager injury with Marquise Goodwin opting out with Alshon Jeffrey being uh, hurt again with Dallas Goddard being hurt. JJ Arstega Whiteside could potentially work himself into a modest role. Just a guy to keep an eye out for in week one, if you're going to do a DFS lineup or, or whatever. JJ Arstega Whiteside could be a guy that you can use early on in the season while Jalen Rager's out. Supposedly, according to Eagles beat reporters, He's having a decent camp as well. Not a guy I'm looking to reach on. Probably not a guy I'm even looking to draft, but keep him on waiver wire speed dial. If he has a great game in week one, he might be worth picking up for a couple games that you get to use him before Jalen Rager comes back. So um, that's all my, uh, my must draft second year receivers for you guys. Uh, I hope this video helped you out. I, I start, I try to get a lot of these kind of philosophy videos out there for you guys, because I think these are the important ones. Cause we're all going to be wrong about things. We're all going to be right about things. But the general philosophy I take around young receivers, I think is one that stands the test of time. You're better off betting on guys like these than you are betting on bounce back candidates, guys that disappointed last year. I think the ascending players is definitely way better to bet on than the descending players. So as I mentioned before, guys, make sure you like the video. If you enjoyed, comment down below any thoughts you have. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Uh, join the Discord in the description. It's popping. We got the link fixed up and, and we got people joining in there every day. So uh, without further ado, guys, take it easy. And